Um, so I just wanted to ask, like, um, do you, how does, do you think authors um, write to incite social change? I think some do. I think most have a message they're trying to deliver. Authors don't write for no reason. And I think uh, more and more, especially you know, as we move through time, because you know you're speaking to a teacher at a, a school that offers a classical education. So we tend to mirror ourselves in, in the past a good deal. But what most of what I call modern authors certainly um, are trying to they're not delivering necessarily the universal message about mankind anymore the way classical literature does. I think it does. Uh, but they're, they're um, addressing their own grievances, mm-hmm. possibly, or, or the grievance of their, of their uh, ethnic group, you know, which become their own grievances, I suppose. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory fashion. Yeah. But the literature does seem more aimed at grievances, perhaps, yes. than classical literature. Do you think it's their intention to like to seek out change for like the betterment of their people, or do you think it's just they're reflecting on how society is and they're like um, making some things? They're shedding light on social injustices. Um, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, so, do you think they're? Do you th- the question is like, do you think they're being more active, or do you think they're just like, they're they're seeing society, they're just writing about it, and they're leaving it up to the reader to determine what should be done about it. Um, that's sort of complex question. I think they mean to effect. Um, good change. Um, so it's their intentions rather yes. than they're, they're just writing to like express their feelings. I think some of them mean to change. Mm-hmm. I mean things. I don't think they're they're sending their writings out there in a vacuum. They set themselves up for better or worse as spokesmen for their people, and generally spokesmen for a people or a group. Um, are speaking on some issue that they feel warrants change. So I think, I think most of them do mean to effect a change mm-hmm. and not just send their writing out into a vacuum and, and don't really expect anything that will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's. Did I answer the question? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Okay. Um, I, don't, I mean, all... you don't have to agree with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I just no, want no, to no. know if I'm answering your question. Yes, you, yes. It, it was just like... There's also the view that like literature reflects society mm-hmm. um, rather than just like being, I guess, more goal-orientated in like... Yeah, I mean... So because so... when I say... When the word like reflects is used, it, it seems more passive, you know? Yes. Um, I think society has changed, though, and that, that is a problem for me. And again, remember that you're talking to a 63-year-old white woman mm-hmm. uh, who teaches in a classical school. So you have to take my mindset into account here. Um, 
I, I think I can certainly say in the classical day, um, uh, conformance to societal norms was desirable for most. If you, if you think of the Roman Empire, for, um, you didn't have people who were you know, conquered by the Roman Empire going, well, Druid rights, you know, and you need to respect our language and you need to respect us as a people. They became Roman citizens. They learned to speak Latin, you know. They changed not, not society, if, if you want to call the Roman society. Now, I feel that society, because, uh, I hate to word, use the words identity politics, but it, it is sort of, we are defined by our differences rather than our commonalities. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, these, these writers tend, I think, to, to play to their small audience, well, they speak for their small audience, trying to play to the larger audience saying, you change, we don't change, you change. Um, and so I, I, I think that basic shift has taken place over, over history. Um, conformity, which sounds like a bad word, uh, conformity and assimilation are now viewed generally, I think, as bad things. Am I right about that? Yeah, I agree. No. <laughs> I think it definitely has a negative connotation to yes, society. Yes, it does. I think so. Um, so, um, and, um, you know, some people will say, well, you know, if you're going to be in this society, you need to speak the language, you need to be able to conduct business and communicate with other people in the language. Um, so when you have these alternative languages, like the, like the Chicano language, um, on one hand, it's probably beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's probably beautiful. I tend to look at these alternative languages the same way I, I look at accents, which is the point you brought up, I think. I think accents are beautiful and charming and add lovely and necessary, I think, diversity to the world. I would hate it if we all spoke the same. But by the same token, I think we need to have a common language, too. I, I see nothing wrong with alternative, mm-hmm. you know, English. Anybody can write anything they want to, you know. Yeah. And, and it should be able to be published, or goodness, these days you can just self-publish it. Um, you know, so what's, what's unusual about writing a Chicano book? What's unusual about writing a Cajun book? Or, you know, I, I don't know... <laughs> Any other accents that are happening, uh, you know, a or you Chinese text. Me- I mean, text te- mix, text yeah. mix, some Spanish and yeah, um, yeah, and English mixed together. And you know, there's 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 nothing wrong with that, and especially if you're writing fiction, you know, it adds verisimilitude to the to the tale because it's the way people speak. But at the same time, for for academic purposes, for scientific purposes. For purposes of business, you know, I think we all need to have a common language as well, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That language used to be Latin. Yeah. Now English seems to have fallen up as the language of business, but I think it might give way to Chinese. <laughs> that's just that's just a side opinion, and I probably got off course. No, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
these authors, um, they're writing to educate, I would say, just to shed light on issues that they've seen in their lives. Um, so how much influence do authors have on their readers? Like how much, how does, how, how does literature impact, how much does literature impact the reader, would you say? Well, going, going by my own life, I would say greatly. Um, uh, I, read, I read early and often, and there, there are books that have impacted my life in ways I, I probably couldn't begin to enumerate. There are books I think about every day, and not just because I'm an English teacher, too, but because I've read them so many times or I've read so many of them. Um, they tend to mold my thinking. Mm. And I, I can't imagine that it's any different for modern readers. Um, uh, people, people will find a book that speaks to them in, in, a, in a very great way. And, you know, if, if you would ask anyone who is, say, an English teacher or just an just a, a active reader, um, they they could probably give you a list of ten or twelve books that changed their lives, you know, for 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 better or worse, or opened their eyes about something. And the kind of literature you're speaking of here might be real eye openers. Um, the the distance is great, but I remember reading uh, Solzhenitsyn um, in high school. Uh, I think. Gulag Archipelago, I think I read that. Um, anyway, it just really opened my eyes to what was going on in Russia, and I was just like, oh, you know, I, I never, I never really thought about it. I, I was a kid, you know, in a middle-class suburban high school, public high school, um, and it was just oh, <laughs> a real, a real uh, stunner to me, um, and I. I was a heavy reader up until that point, but I would say I, I focused on science fiction and just fiction. Um, I started reading more what people back then called serious literature, and I started reading more nonfiction. That, that's, that's what happened to me. Uh, I read more history. I read more nonfiction. I don't know if these authors of, I presume, fiction mean do they do they want to steer people toward reading more nonfiction? Are they just trying to be a voice, you know, voice for their people? Uh, like I said, or are they trying to affect some change? If you're trying to affect some change, you're going to turn people toward nonfiction at yes. some point because they're going to try to find out what to do. Did that answer your question? Yes. I feel like I, I tend to no, wander another, astray. <laughs> um, has literature... Changed any values or beliefs that you that you have, or in like maybe refined, or oh definitely or affirmed or affirmed definitely refined definitely. The problem is my beliefs as you know when when I 
became aware of having beliefs, mm. I guess, you know. I mean, my parents took me to church, and I would say, yes, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, but I didn't think too deeply about it. Yeah. Um, and so literature I've read since then, of course, has refined my beliefs because I didn't, I didn't know there were so many ways you could believe in Jesus and different sects, S-E-T-C-S, uh, and things like that. Um, certainly my political beliefs have changed immensely from from things I've read and, and uh, you know um, I tend to be fairly political anyway but um, I would say um, a book that certainly affected me greatly was Losing Ground by Charles Murray when I when I you know I always I grew up you know in the 60s and 70s kind of hippy dippy you know everything's great let's give everybody money mm-hmm. you know welfare is just the best thing ever and and that book just made me almost throw back my head I was just I, I had no idea welfare could actually be harmful mm-hmm. you know and so I remember being very affected uh, by that book um, and and some other political books uh, as well and, and I would say um, you know, I would say most people are liberal, more liberal when they're younger, and, mm-hmm. and my reading certainly reflected that. I mean, I read, uh, oh, who's the, who's the gonzo journalist? His name just escapes me that moment, just as anarchic as he can possibly be. And I, I enjoyed his writing uh, a great deal. Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson. Um, and I read National Lampoon, which was... <laughs> Anarchic as well. <laughs> Have a good Thanksgiving. Um, so it, <laughs> it's not like I wasn't always. It's not like I was always a paleo conservative, but um, but yeah, they have they have affected and confirmed and and sometimes changed my mind on mm. things. But the, that's such a gradual thing. It, it's almost hard. I, I gave you losing ground but it, it's hard to say one book yeah. does that I think it's the accumulation okay but like literature as a whole has definitely oh gosh yes yes um, you know um, to me it's I can't completely separate it from religion either mm. you know I, I want to inform myself on all counts so I would say it and religion have informed my life the most mm, I mean how cool. else how else do people get information you know I, I people say well I watch the news remember I'm before internet I'm before well I think that's where <laughs> um, the danger of like that's how like these stereotypes are able to like be continued is like a lack of education mm-hmm. um, so like people aren't getting like like as you said, like where you get your education, like they aren't getting it as yes. much. Yes, they aren't getting, or they're getting it from very from, biased from sources. sources. Yeah, and that's one thing that has changed, I think, immensely. Yeah, it's just uh, like what culture tells young. them to. Like, yes. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, you, and I, I know this sounds clichély, you know, conservative. I I really don't trust the media a tenth of what I used to. Mm-hmm. When I was 
growing up, you know, you would turn on Walter Cronkite on the evening news and you would believe every word he said. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty trustworthy and journalism was a different thing back then than it is now. Now it's more of a show. Um, and it's, it's a show in, in my grumpy old age that I'm, I'm not very much believing anymore. Um, so do you think, when I think of school and like what I've experienced throughout school is the only time we really read literature is in English class, which huh. is a very small portion of school. Because do you like, mean literature fiction? Because you did read some in history too, didn't you? Yeah, like I mean, um, yeah, because I feel like most of our classes are based on a textbook. Mm -hmm. um, yes, mine was not, however. Really? Did, did you notice that? No, we no. always had separate books, right? A textbook, I, I really hate textbooks, so I'm really going to speak out on this. A textbook... Are you talking about our English class or like when you went to school? No, I'm talking about your English yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, when I yeah. went to school, my, liter my curriculum was based on a textbook. When I attended public school, which I did here in Houston that you had a textbook for every year and it had selections that had been chosen by some committee, mm -hmm. you know, that were thought to be appropriate for your age level. It might have excerpts from a book, but it wouldn't have a whole book. I'm a, that's why I handed you paperback after paperback after paperback because I want you to read the whole book. I want you to read the whole story. The state education doesn't necessarily find that a desirable skill mm -hmm. anymore. Reading, being able to read a whole book, being able to carry a narrative from beginning to end. You know, they want to they want to chop it up for you. They want to sanitize it for you. They want to make it, you know, testable. Yeah. So that was my question. <laughs> like, do you think that our education system needs more literature oh, in gosh, the curriculum? Yes. Yes. And. And it's standardized testing, unfortunately, that's driving this. Um, and again, you're hearing this from a teacher who teaches at a private school. I do not have a state license, and um, I do not belong to a union. Mm -hmm. I don't think no, any teacher here does. Um, so my thoughts as a teacher are going to be different than a lot of teacher's thoughts you might hear if you interviewed a teacher, say, in the public school. Mm. Um, I feel that teachers should write a curriculum with, um, you know, a certain goal in mind, and that goal would be, for instance, when you were a freshman, to learn about, you know, Greek and Roman mythology, which is the basis of, you know, most of a lot of Western civilization read these books that are considered the great books. You know, I'm a very strong believer in the great books. Uh, the Iliad, the Aeneid, the Odyssey, Shakespeare, you know, y'all got a Shakespeare every year. Mm -hmm. um, poetry, of course, and, and these things. Um, and if I have to say I wouldn't be a teacher if I had to teach the state curriculum, I, I wouldn't do it. It is, it is questionable, and I feel that it's falling in quality yearly, yearly. Plus, it's subject to political demands. That's, that was my next question, actually. <laughs> do, you, do you think the education um, system is ethnocentric? 
ethno. Just like thinking that like our culture is like the right one. Well, when you say ours, who, who's like the mean? American culture. Well, I think I think there is a certain or so, though, like a sense of superiority or like just. Oh, like, you mean like the exceptionality of America? Is that what you mean? Yeah. American, what do it's they like, call it? American exceptionalism. I guess it's like <laughs> we focus like so much on our history, which makes sense. Like we are Americans, like. But do you think that we should like learn more about other histories too, like the, like Native American histories, like, um, like they were here before us, and like I'm, I'm sure like our history section concerning Native American history doesn't cover like. Yeah, I don't know what much. y'all learned in history. We didn't. Well, we didn't. Well, like we didn't learn that much about Native Americans. Is what and the point is like I'm sure it's a more. Ex- I'm saying like, well I guess you couldn't answer that question since you're not a history teacher. But I could answer it a little. I mean I I was kind of taken aback when you read the the passage by the Native American author because I was I was racking my brain you know I I don't know a lot of Native American right. literature yeah, that's my point. because I don't teach it. Um, I have read certainly, you know, some books on the Native American experience, but they were more um, historical, like Bury My Heart, It Wounded Me. I can remember, I can remember reading that, you know, and being, as, as a teenager, generally outraged, uh, you know, at the, at the treatment of Native Americans. But, again, it was mostly historical. What the current experience of being a Native American is in America I don't know I know I don't teach stereotypes because I don't teach it at all do you think it's do you think we should explore that I I, I don't know what the stereotypes would be I mean one of them sounded kind of like a positive like being more in touch with nature I think that's great. (laughs) I don't think it's a bad thing, but I don't think, yeah. I think think it's a mistake just to attribute that to Native Americans. I think with that comes like a sense of being uncivilized. You know, like living off the land, you know? Yes, yes. Like, why don't just go to the grocery store? Why do you need to grow your own? Buy some bread. Um, I mean, I know... You know, logically speaking, I know Native Americans live in the suburbs and go to the grocery store and drive cars and not horses. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know they have basically the same experience that any American could have. I think most of the division or most of the stereotypes, as I understand them, are more economic Mm -hmm. than cultural. I, I know that the, the conditions on some reservations, for instance, are, are pretty, pretty poverty, you know, filled. Um, and the schools are maybe inferior and, but this gets so tangled up in such a legal uh, morass of, you know, uh, tribe sovereignty and, you know, the fact that these children can't necessarily ever be adopted out of the tribe, you know, if their parents die or something like that, or, you know, or jailed or whatever. Um, so 
it's it's more complicated to me than just well here I want you to understand my culture mm. you know it's but again I'm thinking nonfiction too yeah I'm thinking of nonfiction things I've read um, which is strange for an English teacher to think that way but but I do I read a lot of nonfiction um, did did I stray off the course again of, of your question? But the Native American thing did disturb me because it reminded me of when we read Heart of Darkness yeah. and Chinua Achebe, you know, just had his little panties all in a wad, uh, you know, about Heart of Darkness. Um, and, you know, you shouldn't look at this book. You shouldn't touch this book. You shouldn't read this book. I hate being told that, number one. I hate it. Um, people should be able to read whatever they want to read. Robert, sorry. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so, um, any, anybody who says that, I, I immediately get my back up about that. But he did recount that experience at his college where he said, you know, somebody said to him in, in, in his essay that he wrote, somebody said to him, oh, I didn't know Africa had a history. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. Um, and it's not that I'm saying, oh, no, I didn't know the Native Americans have a history, but I don't know very much about it. Okay. Yeah, so, like, and my question is, like, do you think that it, the education system should put more in, of an emphasis on, like, that? On yeah. On being more culturally... Um, diverse? Diverse, I guess, yeah. Um, I guess the problem is... You're, you're always limited. You're limited um, in time and attention span of students and, and resources, okay? So are, are you going to teach, okay? Are you going to teach? And it isn't always either or, but a lot of the time it is. Mm, am I going to teach yeah. the Iliad or am I going to teach, you know, a Native American poem? You know, and you could probably guess which way I would go. Yeah. Because, because the Iliad, for instance, is more well-known. It is alluded to more in everything in the world. That's the one I'm going to go for. Mm-hmm. You know, for better or worse, that's the one. And, and you probably wouldn't find a lot of teachers that would admit that. <laughs> but, but I will. I want the students to understand the art they're seeing around them and the literary illusions that come up for these things and just the general knowledge of civilization. And it's not that the Native American literature isn't civilized, but it isn't the key to so many things. Mm. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's where... Um some people have a hard time, especially now, because you can see how, like, someone would be like, oh, you're saying this thing is more important than this thing. Yeah. And I think that is... And one can't blame them for being offended. And I think that is an issue that we go back and forth with today. But I, I wish sometimes they would look at it from a teacher's point of view. My thought is, how do I best serve my students? Mm. How do I best prepare my students for college, for the world, to understand what's going on? 
And yes, you could understand this beautiful Native American poem perfectly, but is it gonna help you in the art museum? Probably not. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at this painting and not understanding what you're seeing, okay? And I realize, you know, the Native Americans probably have just as rich a mythology. I know they do have a mythology, and they have just as rich as a, uh, a mythology as probably the, the Romans or the Greeks did, but it didn't spread. Mm. It did not spread uh, for whatever reason, you know, and it's probably the fault of history, you yeah. know, the way things happen. And it just is. History, history is a ruthless chooser sometimes. <laughs> And yeah, it's the it is what it is, you the know. Winners and the losers. Yeah, what happened is what happened, and as much people would like to rewrite it, you really can't. I mean, it's it's already, you know, in some sources questionable enough. We know we can't depend on every Roman writer. We know we can't depend on every writer that wrote about World War II. You know, mm. I mean, am I going to believe everything in Mein Kampf? No. But you have to read a lot, and you have to take it all in and kind of, kind of synthesize it to some kind of consensus. And that, you know, with some, with some uh, civilizations, that just, that just didn't happen. A lot was not produced. A lot was not assimilated. So as an English teacher, what are your goals what tools are you trying to imbue upon your students to properly, like, or successfully, like, navigate um, their life? I guess. Their lives. Okay. Several things. Uh, and probably, it's hard to say which one comes first, but I'll just name them. Uh, a good critical mind. Be an ability to read, assimilate, judge. You know, what did I just read here? What is the author trying to tell me if it's fiction or what did I just read if it's nonfiction? Okay. okay. Um, this requires a command of the English language because that's, that's the topic I'm dealing yes. with. Uh, so that requires study of grammar because grammar is the way we understand language. Yes. Grammar is the way we use language. That requires a command of vocabulary because the larger vocabulary you have, the more precise you can be yes. in your expressions and the better you can understand when other people are being yes. uh, precise as well. So, um, uh, then exposure to what I believe is the best of what mankind has produced. Mm. And that's very subjective. Yeah. That's very subjective. Um, and for a long time, uh, it has been, you know, great books, Western civilization, because we are a Western civilization, for better or worse. If I went to live in France, I would expect there to be an emphasis on French literature. If I went to live in Spain, I would expect to be a, there to be an emphasis on Spanish literature, just like we have a year of American literature here. So every country, you know, wants wants to promote its own, but we also have years of where you're not studying just American literature, right? I mean, you've got mythology and epics when you were freshmen, you got British literature when you were, but these, these are all still basically Western. Yeah. 
so um, I, I, you know, I often lament the dearth of Russian literature in, in our curriculum, you know, and just can't seem to find a place to put it. Uh, and I keep wanting to do it for required reading, but they're all so long. You have to teach them in required reading. You don't really teach those books. So finding a Russian book that students could read on their own is, is, is difficult. Um, and again, time. It's just yeah. time. You know, I could teach all sorts of things. I could teach Egyptian, you know, poetry or Assyrian poetry or Native American poetry or Chicano poetry had I worlds enough in time. But I have to choose what I feel is the best and what will serve my students best. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how some authors like write nonfiction, write their personal experiences to shed light on the difficulties they've experienced in their life to, in the hopes that it'll change for their people later on. Um, so do you think that literature is successful in that it does incite social change? I, I, I tend not to judge literature as being successful or non-successful. Oh, well, you know, you know what I mean by like, do you think it's effective, I guess, or oh, like? it can be. I mean, riots have been had over books. Um, it can be, not all of it is, but it can be. It is possible. I mean, is is that what you're yeah. asking? Okay. Just yeah, that was what I was asking. Um, so do you do you see literature as like an art form, as like a self, exp- like so how like a self expression, or like how do you, if you could define literature, how would you define it? Yes, I would say, um, I'm glad you said art form. I mean, it, it is the art of words. Writers, especially of fiction, though there are some nonfiction writers that are very capable of this too, use words and grammar and logic and whatever else we can apply to literature the way an artist uses a paint and a brush. You know, you look at the picture it does something to your brain. You look at the words, you read the story, you read the book, it does something to your brain. Uh, you know, you won't see things mm. for better or worse quite the way you did before. Okay, and it can be a, a little bit or it can yeah. be a lot. Um, so, yes, I would say it, it is the art of words, the art of using words. Um, very closely allied to rhetoric, I think. Um, anything that runs through the mind of man is going to be an art. Yeah, so that's what I found very interesting lately is just how, and you said it, you said like religion and literature were like the two big factors in shaping your mindset, just how you view things. And I'm like, and I'm just like starting to realize how powerful literature can actually be. Um, and just, and like, as you said, like, I think there should be like a bigger, there should be more literature in like education. Oh, sure. Um, 
I mean, but I'm an English teacher. I would yeah. say that. <laughs> I would say that. And, and I have to say, you know, let, let me uh, interrupt you just for yeah. a sec. Go ahead. The, the, the rise of STEM alarms me some. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in, in, you know, a rounded education. Mm, yeah. And I think all of these things that we learn have a purpose in science and math give you give you unthinkable power sometimes but the arts the literature gives you the the morality to use that power and if, if you have one without the other if you have power without morality uh, the world will be a very bad place <laughs> uh, so I always want to get my my humanities you know plug in there um, I, I, I was very heartened. I, I toured MIT with some students once. I might have told you this. And they require, they require literature courses, English courses, and I was so glad to see it because I didn't think there'd be any. <laughs> I just thought it was turning out these little cybots, yeah. you know. <laughs> so I, I was glad to see that, and I thought, what an interesting job that would be, teaching, teaching you know, literature to a bunch of, you know, real technically oriented kids, you know, and trying to, trying to turn their minds <laughs> in another direction besides just, just the, the, you know, what is to me the strict utilitarianism of, of science and math. And I realize math has its own beauties. It's, it's a beauty yeah. I've never been able to appreciate, but I, I understand that perfection and harmony, uh, you know, occur with math as well. I, I do get that, and, and science is a beautiful thing, but the mind of man is a beautiful thing too. So that, that's that's where I've pitched my camp. Yeah. Did you ever teach in the public school? Um, never, never. I went to them. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, when I got here, when I got here, and this is, you know, I I regard. <laughs> I regard my entire career as as a miracle and, and nothing but because I shouldn't have been here. I shouldn't have been here. Um, and it, it was just the merest of coincidences that, you know, my husband went here, so he had he had expressed the really strong desire that our children go here. So when, when our first child was ready for school, Jamie was ready for school, I happened to have double majored in English and drama. And Mr. Cusack's mother was the drama major, uh, teacher at the time, and they needed somebody to take her place. She wanted to retire and go live in the country. So it was one class a day. I could pick up Jamie after kindergarten because it was only half a day back then. I said, sure, I'll do it. I mean, it is just the merest accident that I am here, uh, you know, 26 years later <laughs> doing this and feeling so strongly about it. And it was here. I saw the education that I wished I'd had in the public mm. school. I have learned more just teaching here about everything than I learned in the public schools. And I might say a lot of college as well. Mm. So I, I feel like I've, I've backed up and filled the holes in my education and that's very satisfying. I, I like that. So that troubles me. Why? Just because, I mean, such a large number of people 
go to public school mm -hmm. because of many reasons. Um, but so you were talking about how the problem was more like testable and like yeah. standardized testing. Um, so what would you recommend if you had like influence over a public school curriculum? What would you say? What, what advice would you give? I've, I've thought about this a lot, and, and I, I'm not going to blow your hair back with all my, <laughs> my pet theories, but I honestly think, number one, the federal government just, just needs to get out of the education business. It is not the responsibility of the country necessarily to educate its citizens, or at least a confederation of states. Uh, to educate its citizens on a national basis. Now, I realize they want to have common core curriculum. They want to have yeah. they want to have a populace, you know, with approximately the same level of education. But believe me, we're not getting that anyway. No matter how much money they throw at it, it, it the curriculum is getting worse and worse. And I think because you're trying to apply this to such a large country. It just isn't flexible enough. So what about the curriculum is getting worse? I think it is getting, when, when I look even at tests of my own that are older, they're harder. I've had to, and, and I'm not saying I've dumbed it down a lot, but I've had to account for the fact that students have more other things to waste their time on than just reading and acquiring the common knowledge that makes them a good citizen of the country or of the world or just things that people know, you know. I used to could count on a fund, my students coming to me with a fund of fairly common knowledge like, okay, the Greek gods existed, mm -hmm. you know, who's Zeus. Okay, yeah. I, I can't count on that anymore. I cannot. Um, and I think at least if they took this down now, I know there are certain things that are at a state level. I, I don't like Common Core very much because it's all of this education is becoming a product. There is a, somewhat of a monopoly on educational materials by a company called Pearson mm. who are in charge of you know College Board and yeah. almost any textbook you want to buy. You know, it, it yeah, goes under I, a lot of different names. I've definitely but, seen like Pearson. Like. Yeah. Well, Pearson also owns Holt, like our grammar books, and they also own a lot of other companies. So you might not be as, you might not be aware of how pervasive they are. Um, and this is, education is becoming more of a business than an art, and I think it is an art. Again, anything going through the mind of man, you know, I, I take in information it scrambles around in here and I spew it out to students okay so I have to be very careful what I do when when education becomes a business everybody loses everybody loses it's not always going to be profitable but what did people do back in the day when uh, a high school education was not required People got educated, and they got educated in a superior way. Well, how did that happen? And I think we need to think about that a little bit. I mean, you had little, you know, little schoolhouses, little house on the prairie or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, with 
people who knew things teaching things. And you didn't have to buy a certain curriculum. Very often your curriculum was dependent on what books you had. Well, we can do a little better than that these days. And I realize some standards have to be met and there aren't a lot of ways of measuring standards other than standardized testing. But I think the emphasis is on it too much. I think education has become too much of a business and I think one size does not fit all when you're speaking on a national level. Hmm. So I feel like you you talked about like the overall reason like how it's business how it's going more towards business but like what specifically like is it teachers is it the textbooks is it the lack of diversity in literature or is it like what makes it what is what is what are the problems with what are the problems um well when you have federal and state funding contingent upon the number of bodies in seats mm. um uh, where where's the emphasis bodies in seats okay the emphasis is not on good education or bad education or an education that is needed or wanted uh by that by that student um, I'm fortunate enough to have my students sorted. And, oh my gosh, I said that word sorted, S-O-R-T-E-D, and that sounds elitist. I realize that sounds elitist. Is it elitist to say that a college education is not for everybody? Not everybody needs it, not everybody wants it. But that's been our goal lately, send everybody to college. Everybody yeah. will have a wonderful life if we send everybody to college. So in the meantime, uh, you know, we have this, this sort of bachelor degree driven, um, you know, educational economy, you know, so you've got this, you know, Pearson just churning out the stuff, you know, Pearson and Colin Ford, College Board just churning out the stuff to get everybody, you know, accepted into college. I don't think diversity in literature is really the problem there because if you look at any textbook, now they bend over backwards to include, you know, Native American literature and Hispanic literature and black literature, you know, they, they're bending over backwards to be diverse. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's, that particular thing is the problem. Okay. Okay. Um, but I do think giving students an education they neither need nor want uh, is is a problem, and spending massive amounts of money to do it. Everybody thinks if you throw more money at the problem, you know, it's going to be better. It's not. We. As a private school, I think op operate amazingly lean, L-E-A-N. Um, I, the English department at this school has three, in the high school, has three people. We put our hands on every student that comes through yes. this school. Um, and with books and us, 
and I got to prove that the other day, I mean, the other year. I always said, all I need is students and books and our two brains coming together. And I, I proved that when the school flooded, <laughs> because that's all we had. <laughs> students and our two brains coming together and some books, you know, and paper and pencils yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. You don't need a bunch of fancy stuff. You actually don't. It's nice, but you don't need it. For courses like literature, yeah, you can have all the bells and whistles you want. But you don't really, really need it. Because all that mattered in the end, all that mattered in ancient Greece, was the, the meeting of those two minds and, and the exchange of ideas. But what, what of the student who doesn't want to go to college, who just wants to fix cars or just wants to, you know, be a house builder. So, I mean, I shouldn't say just because that's minimizing it. It's not. We need all these things, and now we don't have all these things because everybody's going to college. Mm -hmm. So I really think, and, and I know this happens in some foreign countries, you know, there is, there is a college track, and there is a, you know, there is a trades yeah. track. Yeah. My very own public high school had an auto shop, and, you know, we used to take uh, home economics, you know, if, if you wanted to do that sort of thing. I mean, there were all sorts of other things you could do. And it wasn't expected that everybody would go to college. Parents want that. And it's somewhat parent-driven. They want their kids to have a better life than they did. And when, when you're immigrants coming from another country or something like that, you know, college just seems like the golden door for everything. But I can tell you... 10 plumbers that make more money than I do right now. <laughs> Probably every plumber in Houston makes more money than I do right now. So if it's a matter of economic, you know, security, um, the college degree isn't always the way to go. Um, so I, I see a lot of basic, basic problems with the educational system, the public education system as it is now, plus the teachers' unions. How does that explain? I'm not familiar with that. Okay, well, the teachers' unions, and I mean, they, they demand greater pay, and teachers are woefully underpaid, no matter where you work. They're woefully underpaid. Um, and, and some of them, you know, um, I mean, I, I've worked here a lot of years, and, you know, I will, I will end my career here, and I'm, I'm not going to gripe about that. But um, they protect bad teachers, too, though. If, if you get tenure, you know, or if you get, you know, union protection, you can't even fire a bad teacher. Teacher could be totally incompetent, you know, teaching bad things or not teaching at all. Um, and that teacher is protected and her job is guaranteed or his job is guaranteed. Well, that doesn't make for good education either, does it? So I, I have some problems in the the union tends to push a certain political agenda, you know, and they'll get all ratcheted up about that and want to change the, the curriculum again, you know, because they find the, the hot new thing every year. Yeah, so it, it makes, I think it's disturbing. I'm all for teachers being paid what they're worth, mm -hmm. you know, and what they're worth is sometimes immeasurable, yeah. you know. <laughs> I think they could do better than what they do. Teachers are the only profession I know where it is expected that, you know, you will hold two or three, you know, one, two or three other jobs because you can't make enough money, you know, just teaching, which is sad. That's, that's pathetic. 
Um, the colleges need to improve that too. They found a cheap way out with um, adjunct professors, you know, that they don't have to give benefits to and and things like this. So they, when you, on one hand, they're throwing too much money at half the problem and they're not throwing enough money at the other half of the problem. They try to cheap out on the teachers, which would be the one place you probably don't want to cheap out. So are right? they just trying to throw money at materials? Materials, yes because you're probably finding out now textbooks college textbooks yeah, are a bit of a bit of yeah, a rape yeah. aren't they <laughs> expensive. yeah there's no reason they should cost that much except for a monopoly mm, okay. there's no reason they should cost that much so um you know if, if we could get some costs in line is there any reason that colleges for instance have to have the luxuries that they have now, say, in the dorms and stuff, but this is what parents want for their children now. I think college costs could be kept down a lot more than they are, too. I mean, are, are, what are you buying? What are you buying? You're buying an education. Mm -hmm. um, are you buying a swimming pool? Are you buying a luxury dorm? Are you buying, you know, all these things? Are you trying to buy an education? Um, I, think, I think the Ivy League is extortionate. But what are you buying? You're buying prestige. Mm -hmm. Wow, what do I really think? <laughs> and I mean, th there is something to be said about that. You know, employers' eyebrows go up when yeah. oh, I went to Harvard. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, but but people are. I think people are getting getting over that Ivy League thing a little bit. Which, yeah, which I, to I me agree. is good. So, I'm still stuck on just like public high schools and middle schools and lower schools. How, how should we go about improving them? Okay. <sighs> State control, or maybe even city control, though city of Houston is just um, blown is it, back. Is it the curriculum? I don't know. I'd have to read the curriculum. I mean, the curriculum I remember, which is, you know, many, many years ago, Dark Ages, okay, yeah. was not... And I went, understand, to what was considered a good public school system at the time. I went to Spring Branch, independent school system. And at that time, it was brand new, brand new suburbs, all these young, you know, solidly middle-class families moving in who wanted really good educations for their kids. So understand, I went to what was considered good, but looking at it in hindsight, it was mediocre at best. Mediocre what made at it best. mediocre? Like, what about the curriculum made um, it mediocre? I would say not, not striving for anything but... The bare minimum? Yeah. Okay. The medium, <laughs> you know. That makes sense to me. Yes. That makes more sense. Because they're just, I don't know, do they, do they have like a, what is, what is the standardized test, test for middle school? Well, like a star test or something like that? Um, or? Yeah, now it is. And understand when I went there, those, those didn't exist. The big test you took was the SAT. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the one. And you only took it once. And you took it, you know, your senior year when you were trying to get accepted into colleges. College acceptance wasn't such a sweat box either. Um, colleges weren't full. So, you know, if you chose a college and had the grade point, you could, and you could afford it, you could go. 
do you think these do you think curric the public school curriculum gears more towards just doing well on the SAT or, or on the star now or on the star I whatever standardized that. test it's yes. more like geared towards that rather than having a more well-rounded liberal arts mm-hmm. yes. education I mean, I know some teachers in the public schools, and you might you might benefit from talking to Mrs. Schwartz too, because she taught in the public schools. Um, I've never taught any place but here. But sure, when you have a test that your job is contingent upon your students doing well on that test, you're yeah. gonna teach to that test all year, yeah. right? I think, yeah, I think that's a enrichment. I don't think so. Yeah, because the SAT is very you got math, and then you have basically just grammar yeah and some slight yeah reading comprehension yeah comprehension yes you don't really analyze not much that much like you don't really go deep into english the english language at all and science isn't even discussed on the sat right i mean how do they how do they ascertain it's your just scientific? math and then english and yes. basic english it's not literary like analysis and like critical thinking um, right and the ACT is not much different yeah it's a little the science is basic science yes so again I mean I realize they have to have you know a rock bottom standard yeah you can't let illiterate people into college or you're setting them up for failure if you do Um, but again you know I think less emphasis on college which is strange for me to say because I work in a college prep school (laughs) but believe me it has broken my heart to see students who wanted nothing more than to tinker with mechanics being forced to go to college and become engineers when maybe they just wanted to work on cars Um, and that's sad too it's sad that parents think that you know apprentice work or the trades aren't aren't as honorable and yeah. aren't as good work and aren't as necessary as as you know those who that require a college degree it's just different mm-hmm. and and you know now that we see the shortage of the trades i think the tide is turning the other way a little bit but it's going to be so. a slow yeah long for sure. wide <laughs> turn <laughs> I hope. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think, for me, the past couple months um, that I've been in college, um, I've looked at literature differently than I did before. Like, before I think, and I think most younger people um, view literature in this way, is it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's just read it, watch a movie in my brain, basically. Yes. Um, but there's just so much more than just the story. Um, and I think I'm just starting to realize that. Yes, there's always the message. There's always the universal message. Yeah. I mean, have, what have you found out about the storytelling? What storytelling, or what stories, I would say, are more effective mm-hmm. for you? What are the ones that speak to you? Um, so... Um, a big one was um, Dorian Gray. Um, like, 
it was just um, so just the I mean when I first like I had this view for the longest time that human humankind human nature was inherently good and then once I like started and that I just I just thought oh everyone's like naturally good like and then I started like the Ring of Gaiji's Dorian Gray and even just like looking at how children interact I'm like wait a second <laughs> are we inherently are we? like if we were left to our own devices and in, in Dorian Gray like if we had the, the capabilities to do whatever we wanted without the consequences mm-hmm. then we would do things that aren't too great. Well, some would and some wouldn't, I think. I mean, I think there are some people who are naturally inherently good, and there are some people who are naturally inherently bad. Mm-hmm. And you just you just can't explain it, or you just can't predict it. Um, because we do have free will, you know, we each choose our own path. Um, but don't get, don't get too bummed <laughs> I don't know, like, it just... <laughs> I just, and I think children are an, an excellent example too because it's like I mean they don't know really right from wrong right they have to be taught and, and empathy I think has yeah, to be taught I feel like they're too. naturally inclined to not share to be selfish um, I, I guess I have seen I don't know if it's because these kids were taught to like be caring and share uh-huh. more or if it's just their natural inclination to share but I feel the vast majority of children that I interact with from like a young age is that they're naturally just selfish uh, yes because they're you know they, they don't understand anything beyond this you know when they're little I mean that's just a function of their age um, but you, you'll be surprised and uh, you may have observed it in your siblings already but you'll be surprised I was always surprised as a parent sometimes because my kids were fairly close together in age and they would do something I hadn't taught them I mean when they were little like two or three like just running into each other and just hugging each Mm -hmm. other you know I didn't I didn't teach them to do that I didn't make them Mm -hmm. hug each other but somehow they would do it yeah and and so you think okay maybe that's a natural (laughs) thing (laughs) Maybe they are good. Uh, you know, and there would be other times where they just clock each other. Like my son launched a, you know, one of those sky dancer things. Yeah. Right into his sister's mouth, you know, <laughs> broke a tooth. And just, I was just like, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of his moments. Like, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> why would you do that? Yeah, why? Um, so, I mean, yes, part of it's a function of age. But again, the in the literature that can say something universal about mankind always to me is the most important literature and the literature I tend to choose you know what does it say about the state of mankind not the state of Native Americans not the state of Chicanos not the state of blacks or whatever you know fragment group you want to get into but what does it say about the state of mankind because we're all that we're all that um, and like, would you say like from from that, from understanding more the state of mankind, we're able to like better navigate the problems that come from that 
that come from, from you know from these identity of mankind. Yeah, yes. from from these ethnic clashes and why yes. there's like this hierarchy of power that we strive for. Yes, why why are these these ethnicities feeling marginalized or feeling superior? Mm. For that matter, and and I it, just to go back to something you read, I always love what Dante says about this. And I I I highlight it and I don't know that it hits students until later, but when he talks about the goddess Fortuna, you know, acting as 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 God basically and you know she she takes power away from one race she gives it to another race she moves money she moves power Mm -hmm. and you'll never understand why because you do not understand the might of God you know and this is always going to be the case Um, some people will be more powerful than others some people will be richer than others it just changes but there, it always is there, and there's, so there'll always be grievances. There isn't probably a race on earth whose ancestors haven't been slaves at some point, you know? I mean, the whole earth has enslaved the whole earth. It just depends on how far back you care to look. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to hope that comes back to students someday and say, okay, what? What can I do? What can I do? What can I say that will make the whole better, or at least as large a part as I can, I can manage to change? That is not to discount the worth and value of a single kind act, because anybody will tell you, you know, you keep doing that, and and they add up too. But I tend to look at identity politics sort of sort of on that global scale and think okay this is all going to pass it's going to be something else in three years mm-hmm. you know so I'm a bit more philosophical about it than some fiery you know person out in the street just just you know social warrioring yeah. is a little hard out you know because I was that way too, and so I can kind of smile and understand that as well. I mean, I was of the generation that, you know, didn't want the soldiers to go to Vietnam, and you know, was sticking the flowers down gun barrels, and you know, castigating the soldiers when they came back from Vietnam, you know, as baby killers and stuff like that. You know, and I regret all that now. I super regret it, but um, because I understand, I think things better or at least I understand the motivations better maybe we shouldn't have gone at all or we shouldn't have gone if we couldn't let our soldiers fight you know which which was the case I mean there can be good wars I firmly believe there can be good wars World War II was a good war I mean you couldn't let that go on um so um trying to understand the motivations of man is 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 to me a better concern than making sure every little group has representation in a textbook. Mm. You know, to me, that's that's just a better way to spend limited resources and limited time. Yeah, I so could be right. I could be wrong. <laughs> so I think, yeah, because I feel like in that manner, you're focusing more on like. 
the roots and the base of the problem rather than every single stem that comes from yeah. this one like core um, issue, I guess, or this core just understanding of mankind. Yeah. And and all the and and, and like understanding the core, you're able to understand all these like different um, things that come from this core and all the effects and all the consequences and all the actions and like and just yeah. and like if you understand the core concept and you're able to understand all everything that comes from that yeah it's sort of cutting the Gordian knot mm-hmm. I mean I you know you can fiddle around for 10 years because that's how long it'll take uh, 10 years you know trying to get a Native American section into the Texas public schools textbook, you know. Mm-hmm. And by the time you do it, everybody will have moved on. <laughs> so, and it, it, you know, it, it'll be a victory and it'll be a fleeting victory. And there'll be something else for people to gripe about. Um, you know, it won't, it, oh, there's no LGBT or there's no mm-hmm. this or there's no that. Can we just say good literature is good literature? Not to say the other is bad. But, again, there's always been LGBT. You cited Oscar Wilde. He was just as gay as anything. Mm-hmm. Why don't they want to claim him? <laughs> <laughs> no, we want a new one. <laughs> I mean, it's, so it's always been there. It, it's just, you know, people, I don't know why people want, want to, you know, have their way be the only way. I guess. Man has always been man. Um, so, you know, whether you agree with me, whether you don't agree with me, because again, you know, my, my opinions are a function of my age uh, to a large extent. I just, I've, I've, as the years circulate, I just feel like, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. You know, stop, stop wasting your time on this. Mm-hmm. Spend your time on something better, because we all have limited time, and, and that's uh, you know, you, you want to spend it well. You want to feel like you made a difference somehow and not just a fleeting difference, but a, but a real, you know, difference in the world. And it doesn't have to be a big famous thing. Um, you know, every, everything is worthy if you do it, do it well uh, and for the right reasons. I feel like I teach for the right reasons because I, as I told you, I still feel like um, my career is a miracle. So <laughs> I'm, I'm probably always going to feel that way. Um, well, why do you teach? Why do I teach? Because, um, well, two, two reasons, I think. A, I, I love it. I really do. I can't. I can't think of another job I would rather do, even if it were a cushy job, even if I got paid more. Um, I always tell uh, Dale King, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, the dirty secret is I would probably do this for free, except I can't. I can't yeah. afford to. Um, which, which I think is a sign that you you do have a good job if, yes, if you feel like you sure. do it for free. Um, because I do. I love reading the books. I love imparting the knowledge to the students. I love seeing the light go on. So number one, I just love it, and number two, I do feel like I'm I'm making a difference mm. because I hear back, and I'm fortunate. I'm incredibly fortunate enough to hear back 
from students who say, you did make a difference. I think about this. I was able to do this thing. I was able to, to do well in my class because I remembered something you said. Not everybody gets that kind of feedback. And I have to admit, I kind of thrive on it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like it. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's rewarding. It's good. I can't, I can't believe God is frowning on, on what I'm doing. He may frown on the way I do it sometimes, but um, I, 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 feel, I feel like it's right. It's the right thing for me. It's the right thing to do. I hope most of the time it's right for my students. So I do it. Mm-hmm. I do it. I could do other things. I honestly could. But, yeah. um, I worked at a employment agency before I, you know, again, miraculously fell into this job. It was terrible. I hated it. I hated office work. Um, you know, I had thoughts of working in the theater, which is why I double majored, but uh, that, that sort of lost its luster after a while, I have to say. Not that I ever really got a paying job in it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just, it became not my dream anymore. I just, maybe I just grew out of it, mm-hmm. but uh, I found that I did want to teach English very, very much. Worked out well for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I'm so sad about this weekend because Henry Walters, the the headmaster that they're burying this weekend, he's the one who hired me. He hired me here. And he took a chance. And he always insisted that we not have teaching certificates, oddly enough. He Hmm. said, nothing ruins a teacher like a teaching certificate. (laughs) Always loved that. He wanted us to have a degree in what we were going to teach. Not an education degree. It makes sense. Yes. I mean... It did. We had great teachers. No kidding. We really did. Not, not that today's aren't, but they're different. Um, teaching is their profession. Mm. We brought the knowledge of the topic, and then we figured out how to teach. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> Which was hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you've talked to um, Mr. Couch before, and... He's 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 very smart. He just has, I think there's um, there can be improvement on his teaching style and just like how to explain things. Like he understands them. Yeah. It's just how to um, articulate it in a way where um, others will understand it. Well, that's why teaching is an art too, and you, you do have to practice it. I was a terrible teacher when I first started here. Number one, I had to relearn grammar because I didn't learn any in public school, very little. Um, and number two, just classroom management, things like that, you know, how to deal with students of a certain age. And when they talk back to you, not just stand there with your jaw on the ground going, what? I can't believe you did that. Um, you know, and all of that you pick up. And um, so it, it takes it takes years, really. So you, you talked, that brings up another point, um, grammar public schools um appalling does that affect um how a reader reads literature um it might not affect how people read so much or like understand it oh sure 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 um how how can you understand a well-crafted sentence for instance or what that sentence is actually saying if you don't understand grammar. 
50% of the time you may be able to guess, you know, just because you speak English. But when you get into a complex sentence, you know, that goes on for half a paragraph, and you've got, you know, independent and dependent clauses and elevated vocabulary, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You, you have no means to cut it up and say, okay, this says this, so this is what he meant. The, the meaning of the author may be lost mm -hmm. to you. Um, if you. If you think about the way you learned how to talk or the way your little siblings learned how to talk, I mean, they learned different parts of speech first, and yes. what they learned first was probably nouns. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that we name, right? Everything yeah. has a name, and then you can do things with those names. And it just seems like grammar in the public schools has suffered arrested development around seventh grade. I mean, most of the one, most of our students that come from the public schools tell me we did it in seventh grade and we didn't do it anymore because they think they've learned it after one year. Um, they don't realize that grammar requires constant constant practice and if you want to be proficient constant improvement there's only so many rules and that's true I always say that but the the examples become more complex they still demonstrate the same rules but how do you know how do you know unless you you keep working on it and set up that way to talk it amazes me and, and I try not to judge but you know I do um, I get notes, I get emails from doctors who put the letter U instead of you, doctors. And I'm just, I get them from fellow teachers sometimes. So I'm just appalled. I think, what are you, a 16-year-old girl? <laughs> Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Comport yourself, comport yourself like worthily of the education you've received. And, and I think we all need to raise raise that level of discourse and communication back to where it is an honored thing to have good grammar and it's not a bad thing which again brings us full circle I guess to your your Chicano literature and stuff like that which purposely breaks the rules right mm -hmm. um, and, and that that was I keep saying I've seen things before um, there was uh, I'm trying to remember the word they used but there was there was a, a movement to have black vernacular taught in schools, you know, in the, in the public schools. Um, and it did have a term, but I can't remember what it was. And, you know, there was predictable backlash and, and predictable, you know, advocacy uh, of it. And it, it didn't happen. Not that language should be completely static. I think we pick up words, you know, all the time from these different vernaculars, but, um, you know, leave, leave the basic grammar alone, because what are you doing when you, when you teach this? You know, you're removing another segment of the population. You're removing them by language from the common conversation, from the common discourse, right? Um, and you're, you're making them subject to some judgment. I think I think everybody could learn the common discourse, college bound or not. You know, learn learn your language, learn learn the language of your country, be a good citizen. If I ex lived in France, I would I would expect that I would have to learn French. If if 
you know, or Spanish or wherever I was living, Italian. So I think people who who live in America should ex- expect to speak grammatical American English, no matter what. You speak whatever they want, you know, on their own time and use their own vernacular. Nobody's saying that, I don't think. God knows my family does. Um, <laughs> but again, for formal situations, for business situations, for just day-to-day work, you know, know the know the language of your country, whatever it is. But you would agree that a lack of grammar skills, with a lack of grammar skills, you aren't able to get the full meaning out of a literary. Oh, work. sure, yes. Manifestly, yes. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. I'm good. I don't. I can't think of anything else that I wanted to ask. No. Okay. But thank you. You're welcome. A good conversation. Was it? Was it? I mean, what are you doing with this again? Oh, it's just like a podcast. A podcast. Have you listened to podcasts? Are you familiar with podcasts? I, I mean, 